Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Warm Welcome. Happy Saturday. Today we're sitting down with Carol, and Carol is the founder of a brand called Maku. And Maku is short for Makuli, and Makuli is traditionally known as Korea's oldest alcoholic beverage. And she has turned it into a canned beverage and modernized the packaging to appeal to more of a wider audience, um, especially here in the US. And my first encounter with it was actually at a restaurant called Jeju Noodle Bar in the West Village, which is ran by Chef Douglas Kim. And it actually was the first restaurant in the US, to first noodle restaurant in the US to get a Michelin star. Um, it's a Korean restaurant, really, really well done. But uh, coincidentally, during my first time there, my first visit there, I was looking at the beverage menu, uh, obviously because I wanted to get something to go with the food. And my friend and I, we saw a, a, another category. I think, I believe it was rice wine. And underneath it said maku. And I was so intrigued because, you know, for me, when I dine out, uh, I, I try to be adventurous if possible. And I want to try new things, especially if it's, if it's like an, a, a Korean restaurant and I'm myself being Korean American, I'm always interested to see new products, new things. And um, I saw maku and I really wanted to try it. So I ordered it and it was the original flavor. I think I believe there's three flavors right now, original blueberry and mango. So I got original. And my friend and I were really impressed. I, I thought it was a really, really solid product. And even more so than that, um, to be able to have makgeolli in a setting such as Jeju Noodle Bar was amazing. And for me, I'm, I'm a big champion of makgeolli. I've, I've frequent Korea I, as much as I, I can, probably once a year during the summertime. And uh, over there in Korea, makgeolli has definitely taken off to a point where there's bars just dedicated to having a list of makgeolli. And I've been, I was at a bar this past summer and they had 30 different makgeolli uh, producers available. And um, it comes in different colors, different textures, varieties. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I was excited to hear that uh, Carol had figured out a way to bring makgeolli here to the US and even more excited to feature her story because I personally really wanted to know where Carol came from and how she conceptualized the Maku brand. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Carol. And of course we begin with her upbringing and where she grew up and how she grew up. I was born in Flushing, Flushing Hospital. And we, I think our first house was right like in the heart of Flushing for about 10 years. And I don't exactly know why, but we did move around quite a bit within the <laughs> Flushing Bayside area. Well, it, it kind of went like Flushing Bayside, New Hyde Park in Long Island. Went to Florida for two years and then we came back to Bayside, moved to like three other Bayside houses and then we landed in Whitestone and then um, I stayed there for kind of like the rest of my adult life. But yeah, we had at least 10 houses, but it was all kind of in the general area. Um, and I, yeah, again, I, I don't really know why because I didn't really care uh, to ask my parents about that, but um, yeah, the experiences were pretty similar. It was predominantly Asian. Um, so like, you know, I went to college at University of Michigan and I have friends who are from like Nebraska or like 
um, from other parts of Michigan and they're like, oh, I was always like the only Asian person or like the only Korean person. And I think that there was a, a, like a lot of struggle that came along with it, you know, because you always kind of feel like you don't quite fit in and um, there are like racial comments made towards you. And unconsciously, I think that affects you growing up. But fortunately for me, I never had to deal with that because um, like my elementary school and the middle school and my high school was like, I would want to say about 40% Asian. And so, yeah, I was fit right in. And, you know, growing up, I didn't listen to like American artists or watch American shows. It was, it was all very much Korean. So like, I don't know, we were listening to like HOT and SES and Finkel and like Shinwa and all of my posters and CDs. It, it was it was them, right? And we were doing like sticker pictures, studio pictures, like, <laughs> you know, Pump, uh, DDR, Counter-Strike, PC-Bang, Norabang. And so, um, yeah, I think for me, it was a culture shock when I went to uh, my high school, Stuyvesant, which is in Manhattan, and you're you know, in class with all of these people that are not from blushing and they don't have the same kind of very Korean upbringing as you. And they would be talking about all of these celebrities that I don't know about and all these TV shows that I didn't watch. Um, so yeah, I mean, like even like the way we dressed and the way we talked um, and the way like we had fun was very different. So that's when I realized that like, Oh, flushing is a bubble, and it's, it's it was very very Korean, um, yeah. And and then the other part of growing up in Flushing, it's known as like a very immigrant working class community, and every business around you is a small business. Like all of the dry cleaners and delis and the liquor stores and the nail salons, bagel shops. Um, it's owned by like you know, either like an Indian immigrant or Pakistan or Chinese, Korean. And so like being entrepreneurial and having a small business, I thought was the norm. Like none of my friends had parents living at home with them because they were always working. And so the idea of friendships were very important because they kind of replaced your family and we all grew up together. And um, yeah, so we were all kind of the same. It was all like assimilation and yeah, that was, I didn't know, but a very flushing Queens experience. So, I mean, in terms of conceptualizing the Maku brand, right. That you have now take me through, through that and how you came up with the idea. And I know that you took a trip in Korea in, in 2017, right? Yeah. So for, for ZX Ventures at the time, I was trying to launch a new product in China. So I was sitting in, in between the New York office and their Shanghai office. So I was traveling quite a bit. And um, I think while I was there on a trip, I went to Korea uh, for a weekend to like meet my parents and um, see like our newborn niece. And while I was in Korea, I had met up with my friends and they knew I was in the alcohol industry. So they were like, oh, Carol, like you want to check out this makgeolli bar? 
And I was like, no. Um, so we ended, up, we ended up not going. But I went back to Korea a few months later just to hang out. And then, um, you know, same friend mentioned it to me again. And so we ended up going. And that was kind of my first experience at a Makkali bar. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But I wasn't that interested in it. Um, but I came back to the U.S. and my mom was starting to talk about Makkali. She was like, oh, I see it on TV. It's like so healthy for you. And she's not a drinker, but she started brewing it. And she was like, oh, like, um, yeah, this is like good for you. So if I'm going to drink, like I might as well drink Makkali because like, She's not a drinker, but she'll drink a shot of soju or something with my dad. Um, she was like, oh, like, it's tasty and it's good for you. So, you know, like, why don't I just try to make this at home? So I think she tried a batch, but it didn't go anywhere. And she, like, moved on to something else. Um, but, yeah, it just I just saw references of it popping up. I, I remember, like, coming across this, like, there's a model called Irene in Korea. Like, Irene is good. And like one of her YouTube videos popped up on my feed and she was basically like trying makkali, but it was like all of these different colors. And I was like, oh, like that looks like really fun and new. And like, I think that concept might work in, in the U.S. Um, so then I took a trip uh, again to Korea and this time solely to focus on, on makkali and I went with my dad and I visited a lot of different Makkali breweries. And then we met up with like um, one of his friends who was really into Makkali and, and um, kind of like introduced us to other people and brought us around. And um, that's when I started like on the educational end, what is Makkali? What's the history of it? Why is it different from, you know, Korea, the Korean products versus the U.S. products. Um, you know, like, what are the calories? What's the industry size? What's the growth look like? Who are the big players? Um, and then once I did that kind of research, came back to, to the U.S., I started doing more, like, consumer research. So I just brought my friends to Korean restaurants, you know, my non-Korean friends, and I was like, oh, like, what do you think about this drink? Would you drink it? Like, what do you feel? Like, do you think it'll work? Um, and there was enough, like, positive reactions for me to um, explore, like, oh, would this work? And I ended up asking someone I knew um, who had started uh, an alcohol company before, like, oh, what do you think about this concept? And, like, I was like, and he was like, oh, I know what Makali is. So he was like, oh, like, do you want to start this company together? And I knew that he had the funding. Um, he had the connections. And for me, my biggest thing was like money because that was my issue with the first company I had. And then also like people taking me seriously because I was still like a young Asian girl. Um, so we ended up deciding to start the company together. I left my old company. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of like the founding and conceptualization of Maku. Um, and we didn't have the name at the time, but yeah, when we, when I first started this thing, uh, I, I had a co-founder. 
and the name. I, I really, really love the name. Um, I, I want to pick your brain about how you kind of came across and, and decided Maku as your name, uh, as well as the, the branding. Like, I know you have this kind of diagonal line gradient situation going on these cans too. So I'd be kind of curious to know how, how you came up with those ideas. Maku, the name, um, I knew I wanted something that was two syllables. I knew I wanted something that like had certain consonants that make the drink sound refreshing. I also knew that makali was like the worst word ever because no one could remember it. It's hard to spell in English too. Yeah. And it's hard to spell. um, But oh my gosh, like trying to brainstorm the name consciously was so difficult. I came up with like really the worst names. I can't remember some of them, but just had a list. None of them were right. And then while I was Googling like um, Makali on the web, I found that there's different ways to spell it. And I was like, oh, I don't understand why people don't spell it like this way, which was M-A-K-K-U-L-I because it's so easy. It's so much easier and it's kind of like phonetic. So I was like, writing stuff for my website and I was like, Oh, like, should I just spell it this way instead of M A K G E O L L I. But then I ran into the issue of like, there's so many articles and like educational pieces written on Makali, but then if they Google it this way, maybe these won't come up. But while I was determining that, like I had, I was writing it with like M A K K U hyphen L I. And um, yeah, I was like, Oh, like, Maybe I just take out the L-I and my brand can become synonymous with Makali or it could at least like help prime people to remember how to say that word later on. So that was like how Maku was born. And then um, the branding. Yeah, so I I did not come up with the stripe or like the gradient. Um, I knew that packaging was the most important thing um just from my time in the industry as well as a consumer like there was just a lot of new beverages coming out and a little a a lot of new like consumer packaged goods and the only thing that like really sways your decision especially like if i'm buying like a bottle of wine it's like packaging so i was like okay we don't have much going for us no one knows what we are we're like starting a new category so the only thing that would make people want to try us or make us stand out on the shelf is like great packaging. So I was like, all right, we have limited money, but like, let's just go find the best designer we could. And that was also a very, very long, difficult process. There's so many options out there. You know, we started with like Behance and like 99 designs and like asking for references and agencies. And I was like, Oh my God, like, how do you find a good package designer? Um, and then we just started looking at products that we liked and then looking up who the designer was behind the products. And then, yeah, and then we we came across a sake bottle called Soto Sake. I was like, oh, you know what? Like, this is an interesting product because they're trying to do something that we're doing, which is bringing, you know, an authentically Asian product and introduce it and brand it for the American consumer. Granted, everyone knows what sake is by now, but still, like, I, it was the first sake that I saw that was not the typical, like, Japanese characters and, like, you know, that long, exactly. 
So we looked up who the designer was, Joe Doucette, and <clears throat> found that he did work for like a lot of luxury companies like BMW and Grey Goose and um, also like huger companies like Nike. I mean, no, not Nike, uh, Coca-Cola. I don't know. He just has a very, very, yeah. Um, but always it was a rebranding that he would do. Right. A lot of work was like a rebranding. So I was like, oh, well, maybe he's good at that. Maybe he, he's good at seeing something that already exists and reimagining it. So I met with him at Soho House. I, I knew I wanted our product to be premium. So I was like, OK, I like that, you know. Um, and I, t I told him what kind of we were conceptualizing and he was like, oh, this is like so cool what you're doing. I know what Makali is. I came back from a trip um, from Korea not too long ago. And I would love, I would love to be your designer. And we honestly couldn't afford him, but he was like, oh, I'm willing to do like, you know, uh, cash equity um, kind of compensation and also like defer payment. So we couldn't afford him, but he made it work. And he's the one. So then... I laid out all of our challenges to him. I was like, A, people don't know what makgeolli is. B, it has like sediments in it. So like you have to shake the can or like turn the bottle when you open it. But like there's this like really ugly bottle that I don't want to use. Um, C, the liquid's white, which a lot of people find it to be like a turnoff. D, um, we really, really need to stand out on the shelf and have a a package that's so like intriguing and beautiful that people are willing to trust and buy without knowing what it is. So like kind of just took all of these parameters and then we, I suggested at the time, like, Oh, what about an upside down label? So people like would have to turn the can over to open it. And then like that would solve the problem of like the sediments. Um, and then he really liked that idea. So then, at the time, our, our label was upside down. And that's where he came up with the stripe. Because he was like, oh, well, this is a, is a um, design that would stay intact, like on the shelves, upside down, right side up. If you're drinking it, if you're looking at it. And uh, I've researched everyone in the beverage space and no one seems to have this design so we can own it. And... Um, the first design was just um, just just silver stripe, and we had it in sleek cans. But then, when we were moving to Korea, we um, had to change to standard twelve ounce cans, and it just looked a little bit too plain and not special enough. And then that's when the gradient came in. Oh, so it was an evolution. Yeah, got it. So it wasn't always a green from the get go. It was just a silver line and. The, the, I think so, so the 1.0 design, if you will, was that in like the, the skinnier, slimmer cans that you see in like Korea? Like the skinny, skinny, like yeah. uh, soda cans that you see? Yeah. Kind of like the Red Bull can shape. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then the logo was kind of uh, upside down. You said that was like the first iteration. Um, not the logo, the entire label, we pasted it on the can upside down. So we launched with that design in the market and a lot of people asked us to bring it back. But 
um, because we were ordering such huge quantities from Korea, you know, we were ordering it by the container and no one in the customs department could answer my question of, is it okay for my labels to be upside down? I didn't want to risk um, having a container full of products that we weren't able to clear customs. And so, yeah, I was like, maybe we could try it later, but for right now we're too poor to like toy <laughs> risk that like us losing a batch like this. Yeah. Wow. And the, in, in addition to that, I was going to ask you about why you went with a can versus a plastic bottle, but I think you kind of answered it, which is uh, people don't really like to see through the sediment and, and the colors and the most appealing sometimes. But would there be another reason as to why you chose a can? Is it also maybe like the packability, like how you can pack it as opposed to like a bottle situation? Because um, a lot of the, the brands that we found here in the U.S. before you started yours, these kind of like legacy brands, right, that you find in, let's say, H-Mart, they are always the same kind of like plastic uh, bottle, right? So is there another, is there a particular, another reason that you went with a can versus a, a, like the traditional bottle? Yeah. Um, so this was, uh, when the rise of canned lines, um, and craft beer was happening. Oh, got it. Yeah. So I knew that it was not a trend that would go away. Um, at the time, we were we were categorized as a wine. So I was planning to do direct-to-consumer. And if that were the case, I wanted the cans um, because they were more portable. It was easier to pack and, um, you know, cheaper to ship. I didn't want anything glass. But then I don't want, like, the PET bottles, uh, which are the, the plastic bottles you find in Korea because they were so ugly and they looked cheap. And because I was trying to modernize Makkali, I knew I wanted to update the, the packaging. So, yeah, it was several reasons. I didn't want um, people to see through the liquid. So I wanted, you know, the outside to be not, not clear. Not, uh, I, I knew that there was a huge trend in canning in terms of like the packaging of alcohol. I wanted... Um, the serving size to be individual versus group size, which is more Asian. Um, so I was like, okay, like, you know, and then lastly, I wanted this to be compared to a beer. Like I wanted this to be a, a new category, like a hard cider. And I thought that if we packaged it like a beer, then people would, you know, maybe think that, oh, this is an alternative to beer. So. Would, would, for people that I'm sure you get this question a lot in terms of like, what is Makuli like? And I'm sure you probably cater the experience a little bit differently depending on who's asking. Right. But would you, if someone, if someone asked you, would, it, would you consider it to be closer to beer than, than wine? Or is it somewhat in between? Like, how would you describe Makuli? Yeah. So I actually went back to the government after they categorized as rice wine, uh, asking them to change us to beer because Throughout the production process, I was starting to realize that because at first I was going to wineries and then everything that I was requesting, they were like, you're better off going to a brewery. Um, but we were having challenges because we were categorized as a wine and not a beer um, because the definition of a beer is like fermented, fermented grain with or without the addition of hops. Um, 
and and the substitutable grains for the definition of beer, one of them is rice. So I was like, oh, we fit exactly into the definition of beer um, without without hops. So then I also looked at the brewing process because I, you know, I've brewed beer a few times, and I was like, oh, we're quite similar to how we brew beer, and also the yeast that we were using was a beer yeast. So. Went back to the government and they were like, oh, sorry, there was just no precedent. Yeah, we can change it to a beer. So now we, on the can and in a lot of like our marketing materials, we write Korean rice beer. And then if you want to have more words, we say we're unfiltered and we're all natural. Um, Because at this point, some people are understanding what unfiltered is because it's, there's unfiltered sake yeah, and a lot of beers and ciders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of beers and ciders now are unfiltered and there was a huge rise in hazy beer, which is also just like a different way of filtering. It's just not as, mm, it's more coarse. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll keep that forever. Um, but for now, yeah, it's hard because we're not exactly a beer or what people think of when they think of beer. But I do think that it's much closer than wine in terms of like, what are we? As a last question too, I, I'd be curious this because this is like what year three for you in business, right? With Maku. And obviously we're, in, we're still in it. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, what, what has this past year been like for you? Like, are you affected? How are you affected if you're affected by COVID? Have you seen maybe, cause when I was talking to um, Sandro from Sanzo Sparkling Water, he actually told me that sales had tripled during this time in, in the last few months. Cause people uh, are, ba- are homebound and you know, they're <laughs> doing a lot of online ordering. Um, so for you, has that, how has that been the last few months and maybe just the, the past year since you've been back on market? Unfortunately for us, when the pandemic hit, we were still such a new brand that 90% of our accounts were restaurants. And it was really sad because we were just starting to gain traction. We finally hit a point where people were asking us to buy Maku instead of us asking them to buy Maku. And um, we had just signed on with the distributor and in talks with Whole Foods to get in. And then basically COVID hit and shut everything down and so our first month um i think we dropped in sales like i don't know we were like 25 percent of where we were and i was like i had like a horrible feeling in my stomach i was like oh my god like oh we're gonna shut down like we are never gonna make it um we can be you know like people were sending me all these articles, how beer sales were tripling and quadrupling. And I was like, well, these are beers that are already on shelves, right? Like, obviously like people are stocking up on beer for home, but I am not on those shelves yet. Like no one knows who we are. And our only channel is through like restaurants, which are all shut down. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't really sure what to do, but we um, finally, finally got a response from Craft Beer Kings. I had been reaching out to them for months and they were the only retailer that, um, one of a few that were shipping nationwide and 
at least we had like our few loyal fans and repeat customers that um, were, you know, buying us repeatedly in the, in the city of New York. But that was like very limiting because, you know, I can't speak to like only New York residents. Um, so Craft Beer Kings um, finally brought us on and then I was able to um, tell our like Instagram follower base, which I think at the time was still only like not even 2000, but you know, those people that was, that were interested in us and kind of was just waiting for us to release beyond New York. And I was saying like, Oh, Hey, you know, we are finally able to ship beyond New York. So if you're interested, um, find us at craft your Kings. And so that is when sales started to increase, um, through our two online channels, which was Taproom and Craft Beer Kings. And um, yeah, from there, it was like all word of mouth. And then, so February was slow, March was slow, but April was starting to pick back up and Taproom sales were really, really, really great. I think like they sold 30,000 or 40,000 just on one of the months, just through their channel. Um, which yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot, but we're still like not even like a year old at the time and no one knew us. And we had like a, maybe 2000 followers on Instagram. And so for us, it was, it was great. And, and that's when we finally picked up back to like pre COVID level. Um, but it was, you know, with all of our existing accounts shut down. Um, and then we started slowly selling into like, off, off-prem and, you know, retailers and, um, other stores that were not restaurants, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, um, we've tripled sales, definitely not, um, because we have definitely limiting factors in terms of like, we can't sell direct to consumer. We can't sell through our restaurants. It's still a terrible time to like sell into new accounts. Um, but yeah, we're not, we're not at like the state of emergency that we were in like February, March. Okay. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I can only imagine how difficult it was for you in the beginning because you know, as someone who, who works in also actually like a Korean restaurant, I, I observed and saw that you were getting into a lot of these restaurants in New York city. And for me too, I felt like you were really gaining that momentum. I was like, Oh man, this is great. You know? And on so many levels, even for us at the restaurant, I felt that this was, this was a year for Koreans, <laughs> maybe, especially after, especially after Parasite swept the awards. I was like, all right, Maku is going to be great. Atomix is going to be awesome. And anything Korean related is going to take off. And then, uh, you know, this, this kind of, this kind of thing happened, but, um, I'm, I'm at least glad to hear that, uh, you know, it's, it's bounced back a little bit. Um, but so for people that want to find you, they can, they can actually try it now. I think I'm on your, on your website now, but it has a direct link to uh, craft beer Kings for, for nationwide shipping. And you said tap room for New York, right? Yeah. And um, we are definitely gaining traction with like um, off-prem retailers now. So like supermarkets, sellies, bodegas, depending on what state you are, like wine stores too. Um, and we're slowly starting to expand to new states. So I think hopefully by the end of this month, we'll be in some new states. And so, yeah, uh, we, cause online, um, online sales can only, 
do so much because it's expensive um, due to shipping and the shipping is kind of slow. And so, yeah, hopefully, I mean, honestly, we have grown solely through word of mouth, um, but we have some hardcore fans and the benefit of people staying home is that they are, you know, served ads, online ads, and they're taking in more content. And so I think it's, it's benefited us in that way, you know, us being able to really create more content and really speak to our, our fans, like from, from, a, from a real authentic place. And they're listening to us and they're, they're seeing us and, you know, we're being as transparent as we can and they are, they're really sharing the words. So yeah. Uh, thankful. I'm really thankful for um, everyone who's supported us to getting us where we are now. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I'm really excited to see where, where it takes off because I, I really believe in the product too, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes it sucks to be the first to market, but at the same time, you know, like it's, it's crazy that you pulled it off to, to, to even bring it to market. Cause I, I was like, man, I thought, I thought a lot about it. I was like, why is it luckily in in the U S and then I found out all these logistical production issues, but you know, you've, you've found your way around it and the packaging is awesome. The story is great. So hopefully, um, especially for people tuning into, they, they'll, they'll give it a try. Uh, cause it's, it's really awesome. So right now you have three flavors, right? The, the original kind of, um, uh, flavor and then mango and blueberry, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are working on a fourth. Um, I, I think, I think it's going to be orange. Um, it tastes like a creamsicle. So it's like really, really good. And it's new. Um, I don't think there's really anything in the market that tastes like it. But yeah, due to COVID, you know, it'd be easier if I just like went to Korea and we were doing R&D. But right now it's it's like they're shipping it to me and I'm giving them feedback and then they're shipping it to me again. So it's slowing things up a little bit. But yeah, hopefully by the end of this year, we can announce our new flavor. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me and really sharing, you know, your story. Uh, again, hopefully people get to try your product because I think it's amazing. And uh, Makuli is such a communal experience. So hopefully people can, uh, you know, order it and share it with their friends. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. <laughs> thanks, Carol, for your time and for being on the podcast. And for those that haven't tried the product yet, you can find it online at drinkmaku.com drink m-a-k-k-u.com that's also their instagram handle and on their website you can find out which retailers or restaurants carry it so that you can try it or you can even order it direct through their distributors and uh, again comes in three flavors and i would definitely recommend trying all of them to see which one might be your favorite and uh you know i'm really excited as i shared during the conversation too i'm just excited to see more and more beverages alcoholic beverages namely korean alcoholic beverages make their way into the u.s um actually in the next two episodes we're going to be del- diving a little bit more into it i'm um, sitting down with someone who has a specialty and uh starting a business around importing korean sur which is the word for alcohol so we're sitting down with him next week and then we also have another makgeolli producer 
maker uh, on the show next week as well. So we're, we're definitely going to take a little bit of time to dive into the, to Korean soul, Korean beverage, because I think that we're going to see more and more of it as, as time goes by in the U.S. And uh, again, as a Korean American, I'm just really excited about it and I want to share that with you. So um, appreciate you tuning in and looking forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Take care.